Welcome to the Freedom Challenge Online with host and director of the Freedom Challenge, Tracy Doherty. Our mission is to do good by helping enslaved women and children, to do more than you ever thought physically possible, and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. Hello, Freedom listeners. Thank you for joining us today for this bonus episode. Today is Thursday, July 30th. It is World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. Today is a day for us to remind ourselves to follow what the scripture says. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Proverbs 31.8 Did you know that every 30 seconds someone becomes a slave? The average price of a slave is the cost of a new cell phone, and I am not talking about an iPhone 11. I am talking about a cheap cell phone. The average age of a modern-day slave is 12 years old. Most victims are trafficked in the country borders. And within this COVID-19 outbreak, human trafficking victims have even less chance of escaping and finding help. World Day Against Trafficking in Persons was proclaimed by the United Nations and serves to raise awareness and increase prevention of human trafficking. So the terms trafficking in persons, human trafficking, and modern-day slavery are used as umbrella terms to refer to forced labor, forced marriage, sexual exploitation, and organ harvesting. This is some dark stuff. If you are new to this podcast or have never heard of the Freedom Challenge, we are a nonprofit organization that raises funds and awareness to support ministries across the globe that prevent, rescue, restore, and develop women and children who have been oppressed and marginalized. I want to invite you to look at our website, thefreedomchallenge.com, and to even listen to some of our earlier episodes about the why behind what we do. Today, I am honored to have my friend Ginger Tadeo on the podcast. Ginger is a freedom sister and has greatly contributed to this movement. You can watch her video in the show notes, and I know that you will find her both delightful and amazing. Ginger is a survivor of sexual exploitation and abuse. She is an advocate for freedom and has a story of overcoming that is both miraculous and and beautiful. Welcome, Ginger, to the show. Can you share a little bit about yourself and your family, and will you briefly share your connection to the Freedom Challenge and how it has transformed your life? Thank you, Tracy. It's I'm glad that you've invited me on. I guess I can share my age. I'm 61, and I've been married to my husband, Vince, now for 38 years, which has a tendency to be a roller coaster ride for all of us, but especially those who have had to endure extreme abuse. I have two married children now and two grandchildren by my oldest son. My connection to Freedom Challenge started at a conference back in, I believe, 2015, where I heard about the Freedom Challenge movement. And I was very curious about it, but I was an untrained hiker. I didn't fit the typical stereotype of a hiker, but I thought, well, if I do a little bit of training, maybe I can support this organization because it just felt so 
dear to my heart. I made that commitment. I signed up and I remember that first day in Wyoming. And as I looked around, I thought to myself, I don't belong here. Our first day on the hike, though, I found that the women were so encompassing with their love and their help and their support. And all of a sudden, after I'd say the first hour of walking and hiking with them, I felt like I belonged. My experience with them has been extremely healing in my life because through it, I've learned that God has a tender side that I've never really experienced before. Um, I always saw God more as a a father image, and my father image was very one of cruelty. But these women demonstrated the tender side of God in my life, and I grew so much through this hiking and just spending time with women who were truly loving and caring. I continued hiking the following year. And then the third year that I was involved, I became a member of the prayer team. Due to my injury that I experienced through uh, training. So being a part of the prayer team was also a very beneficial time for me to really spend time praying for these women who are hiking and for women who have been trafficked all over the world. Ginger, it has been such an honor and a privilege to get to know you through the years and just hear your story, hold your story, allow you to teach us through how God has led you through your experiences, but the wisdom that you hold. And I'm so thankful to know you, and I'm grateful for all the contributions you've really made to Freedom Challenge through the years. Thank you for being here. But with that being said, I know that we talked about all of this discussion that's been heightened in this period of time on trafficking and sexual exploitation, even just in this last month, with the arrest of Miss Maxwell, the, the Jeffrey Epstein's partner, and then all of these social media allegations being directed at Wayfair. There have been many opportunities to have discussions with people about the realities of human trafficking and sexual exploitation. And so the thing is, is regardless of what happens with these investigations, What remains true is the complexity of the issue and the need to pray and educate ourselves. And this really does inform Freedom Challenge's drive to advocate, support ministries and organizations that both prevent, develop, rescue, and restore women and children who are trapped. With that said, Ginger, will you share your story as a childhood victim of sexual exploitation? Yes, I will. And it's not an easy story to hear, but my reason for going into detail is to just show you the power of God and how he can rescue someone. Um, I grew up in a very abusive home. My mother neglected me the first eight years of my life. And then when she married my stepfather, he began immediately from the day they were married to... um tell me basically that I was not allowed to wear clothes at night and nakedness became a very normal part of our routine. It really wasn't normal in today's society, but I was told that this was normal. Everybody did it, but I wasn't allowed to share anything with anyone. He did many things to help me gain trust in him. He, in the beginning, he was 
very nice to me and loving and became a father image that I was longing for so deeply since I had never known my first father. But then after time went on, he cut me off or cut us off from all our relatives and blamed them for ruining relationship when it was all him cutting it off. Uh, as time progressed, he began introducing me to pornography and gave me things to look at and you know, vile, disgusting things that no, nobody alive, even an adult should be looking at. And, um, from that, it went into him and my mother sexually acting out in front of me and also with me. Um, from the ages of eight to 18, I was basically ritually abused and tortured sexually and physically. If I did not perform the way they wanted me to, I was beaten. From the ages of 16 to 18, I was pulled out of school and we moved to a different state. And I was locked in my room for those two years. No one knew that I even existed behind these closed doors. Um, I was given bread and water to eat as my daily nutrition. And I was also at that time not allowed to wear clothes and they also shaved my hair off because my stepfather had been pulling me around the house by my hair and i had so many bald spots he shaved it off so here i was no clothes no food except for bread and water no hair and i felt as though i was stripped of all my dignity over those years, I was told that the only thing that I was good for was to be a stripper or a prostitute because I didn't finish school, which was their doing, not mine. I was an honor roll student when they pulled me out. When I turned 18, my parents had told me that if I started bringing in money, then I could eat and have clothes. So they took me to a bar to uh, audition to be a dancer so that I could pay them for my food and clothes. Fortunately, I didn't get the job because I stink at dancing. <laughs> and I find that as a blessing today, even though I still can't dance. But um, because of that, because of not getting the job, they threw the newspaper in my room on a daily basis and told me to find something that I could do. Well, I finally did get a job at... Uh, a sewing machine factory, and they would take me back and forth to work every day. The day of my first paycheck, I left home. I did not see them ever again. I packed up a duffel bag and left, and it was the best thing I did. Unfortunately, when I left home, I turned to survival sex. I lost my job within, oh, I'd say a few weeks, and I had no way of getting food or I didn't, and I didn't have a place to stay because the woman I was staying with kicked me out because I was bringing home men and it was affecting her child. So I had to go to survival sex for my housing, my drugs and food and for affirmation. I was, I had no building up as a child and I was deeply lacking affirmation. So what I thought I was doing um, was correct, and it's what I was taught. And unfortunately, lived in that lifestyle for about a year. That's when God came into my life through a person that I had met at one of the houses I was living at. And she was a Christian, and 
through her and bringing me to Christian functions, I ended up um, accepting Christ as my Savior. And I had a new hope, even though my behaviors took a while to uh, go away. I eventually met my husband. And after a couple years of marriage, I had to go into counseling because it was, I did not know how to cope. I did not know how to live with someone, um, especially of the opposite sex. So I spent many, many, many years in counseling and have received a lot of healing. But healing never comes to an end. It's always something that continues. You know, people think that you can come to a place where you're healed and there's a destination and that there's an ending point and there isn't. It's always a journey. And do I like that journey all the time? No, but God has me on that journey for a purpose. And he's using that journey in such positive ways in my life. I have been able to mentor women who have been severely abused and it has taken on something that was so evil and turned it around and God is using it for good. And it, it's so fulfilling to know that what was meant for evil is being used for his glory. Wow. Ginger, thank you for just sharing. I, I know that every time you share that story, it's your story. It's close to your heart. It's raw. And it takes a lot. I know it takes a lot out of you. So I just, I want to thank you for opening up your heart and, you know, just trust, trusting your story to God and to us to be able to learn from. And I, and I thank you for that. And as I see what's happening in our country and the atrocities that you share with us, even back how many years ago, it is clear that these atrocities are happening right under our nose in plain sight. Even as you shared about these things happening in your little rural suburban life. I'm thinking about COVID right now, and I'm sure you've been hearing about just the rise of abuse in homes because of the lockdowns in homes, which is heartbreaking. Thinking about these children, much like you, who now don't even have school or church or places to go that acted as buffers in their life. It's, it's really heartbreaking. And, and your story kind of frames it in a real reality of someone that I personally know. It very much humanizes that experience for me. And I know for those that are listening, it's interesting how COVID has both acted as an ally for victims of sexual exploitation and even human trafficking but it also has been a great enemy. And when I say an ally, I think about some of the stories we've been hearing about brothels being shut down, about the U.S. government really focusing on traffickers and lots of arrests happening even in this last six months. So these are all good things, conversations happening, people becoming aware. So those things have become an ally to these issues, even within COVID. But the other side of that, which is heartbreaking, because I know you shared about the pornographic piece and how that becomes a part of this whole method of abuse. And I was just hearing uh, a few days ago how this time last year, child pornography online there were about 3.1 million reports this time last year. This year, because of COVID, 
the other side of the lockdown, there has been 7.7 million reported cases of child pornography this year. Ginger, can you share a little bit about what you know of sexual exploitation looking like in our country? And what do you make of this rise in child pornography? The rise in child pornography does not surprise me one bit, especially with everyone um, being so secloistered with the COVID-19. Unfortunately, our world is just getting more and more evil. Our, our society is hypersexualized. And I think the more empty people feel, the more hypersexualized it becomes. And it's so easy for people to treat people as objects instead of human, especially since porn desensitizes a person so much. Plus, I think there's just such an ignorance about what human trafficking, where it is. Unfortunately, one day my cousin or my husband's cousin was over and I was talking about human trafficking. And he said, oh, that doesn't happen here. That only happens in third world countries. And I was like, no, it happens here. And it's the fastest growing criminal industry. And it's just so sad. And unfortunately, the United States is the number one consumer of sex. Uh. We drive the demand. And it's just, it's hard to comprehend. It just, it blows me away. And Ginger, don't you think that some of that demand is coming from uh, the usage of pornography? It is actually increasing the demand. It starts out really innocently with some uh, men and women just viewing pornography and, you know, complying to that. And before you know it, it pushes to these deeper places of participating. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And unfortunately... Men and women together will use pornography just to try to help make things better in the marriage bed. Yeah. But that's not without damage. And I think that really increases, like, like I was saying before, people become desensitized so much and they need something more and more and more until it gets so perverse and gets into the human trafficking areas. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also with this online sexual predators and child pornography, this is the way that this is being consumed now is visually online because humans are not being transported from here to there and the airport's shutting down. So it's so damaging. You know, the people will say, I'm just viewing something. Well, in the case of child pornography, these are children that are fully being exploited for the consumption of others' dark pleasure. Yes, and it is a deep, evil, dark pleasure, and they have no concern of what it's doing to someone else. All they can think about is their insatiable desire for pleasure and money. Yeah. The other thing that I think surprises a lot of people is that this trafficking occurs in every single state of our country. And I have a story in my own little suburban town. I have a complex where I go grocery shopping. And in that complex, there was my favorite Chinese restaurant. And for some reason, it closed down. And I never knew why. Well, I found out uh, a few months later that the massage parlor next door and the restaurant 
were owned by human traffickers and they actually, the police busted them and closed everything down. So here I, you know, I live in a small town. Wow. And five minutes from my house, they closed a ring and they raided many other locations within a 20 mile radius of my home. Ooh. (laughs) I know. I just blew me away. Yeah. Because you think of it only in the big cities, but it happens everywhere. And, you know, this is what we're hearing about. We know this crime is underreported. Well, in the case of your own life, that was never reported. Exactly. It was never reported. So, and this was years ago. And now we're, you know, we're beginning to get more language and understanding around the vast, you know, there's a stream of slavery. And then from it is all these offshoots, you know, child pornography and abuse and forced labor and organ trafficking. They are all shooting off this main, you know, stream. And, you know, you had some um, interesting stats on those that are most highly at risk as victims. Will you share a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, Young girls and boys aged 12 to 20 are high prospects for this. And also people from the LBGTQ community are at high risk. Heartbreaking. It is. And part of it is because these, you know, people struggle with their identity and their easy targets. Those who have been abused physically and sexually and have poor self-esteem, who aren't sure of themselves, they're easy targets. 90% of runaways are targets. Mm. And this really, this next statistic really surprised me. 50 to 60% of those in foster care. That is astounding. Yeah. And it's scary because here these these kids are being put in a place that they think is safer than their own home, but they're being trafficked. Uh, there's those who struggle with substance abuse. Um, they're easy targets, especially because they need money for their drugs. And obviously those who have been recently migrated from other countries are easy targets too. Yeah. Well, you just think of the term um, human trafficking, it comes down to the exploitation of vulnerability. So in these cases, you see people from different populations are highly vulnerable, whether it's socioeconomics, whether it's gender, it's geography, it's belief, it's, you know, sexual identity. It's all coming into the exploitation of those things. And in your case, as a young girl, you were being exploited by your parents, those closest to you. And, you know, you you had so many vulnerabilities and that you couldn't even take care of yourself. So that was your vulnerability. Your parents actually exploited that and isolated you so that these abuses could easily happen. So it's it's interesting when you look at those that are at high risk, it most often has to do with that heightened vulnerability. Yes. For me personally, I left home believing that I was nothing but a physical object, a sexual object. Those messages were deeply ingrained in me from the age of eight all the way through 18. And those are uh, formational years where we develop who we are. Uh, When I left home, uh, I shared earlier 
that I started uh, experiencing survival sex. And because of the messages that I was giving from my abusers, they became like a psychological pimp to me because I believed what they said was absolutely true. Um, even though I didn't have any more relationship with them when I left home at 18, I believed what they said. They were my parents. We believe our parents. And people who who sell their bodies or exchange their bodies for housing, um, food, drugs, uh, affirmation, whatever it is, they don't want to. Unfortunately, society has this thing, especially with women who like do survival sex, that they want it. None of us want something like that. It's something that we have been trained to do. And because of that, we also become very high risk for a pimp, a real legitimate pimp to come in and and uh, take us over because we have no sense of boundaries and we blame ourselves for the predicament we're in. Mm. I was we, I was speaking to someone, a new acquaintance of mine, who was a high-end escort in one of these big cities, and she would dance and then prostitute herself. So although she would be engaged as a high-end escort, you know, in the, in the culture, a lot of people would say things like, oh, she wants to be there, or she's an empowered woman, or she's making good money. Inside, she would long to be seen and long to be, she said she would pray, can an angel or someone come and rescue me from this? And it takes, you know, this idea of exploitation and human trafficking. It's it's this big river with all kinds of offshoots that we could easily just dismiss or minimize as, well, I don't know if that's really human trafficking or, well, I don't know, maybe they chose that way or, well, that's just the way they were brought up. Again, it goes back to that dehumanizing that we can get when it comes to trafficking. You know, lack of awareness makes it really easy for people to minimize uh, what's going on in the minds of those who are being trafficked or are uh, experiencing survival sex. Which then leads us to this. You know, we hear all these big stories and statistics, and it's easy to imagine that there's a bad man or a boogeyman around every corner ready to take our kids. So this is kind of this glamorized piece that people grab onto. But although this may be true in some cases with abuse and trafficking, most often in our country and in other countries... The parents, family members, friends, close connections are the ones that are profiting from this exploitation of vulnerability. And so could you share a little bit about how that's played out in your own life and what you see happening around us? There's so many perpetrators out there, and I don't even think that we're aware of who's doing the perpetrating. It's not just men who are doing this, but women also. And it's all for the almighty dollar that people are doing this for greed. Um, an example of a family member, let's say your mother's a drug addict and she needs more money for drugs. She will sell her daughter to whoever so that she can have money for her drug addiction. I met someone that I knew from counseling 
whose mother uh, lived in this wonderful, gorgeous house and for some reason felt the need for more money and she would sell her daughter, and we're talking a young girl, to a local sports team to make money. Uh, I was just horrified. And the poor girl had such damage. She was uh, had a split personality because of it, because it started so young. Um, there's examples of friends uh, where maybe a friend wants a coach purse and the other friend will say, hey, come to this party and uh, they're, they're going to be selling purses here or whatever, whatever the excuse is to invite them to a party. And the friend will actually sell her to a boy who wants sex. Mm. Well, the word friend is used, but obviously that's not a friend. Um, and there's so many consumers, uh, the working class, your everyday, possibly your neighbor. I had a friend whose husband uh, would go to prostitutes all the time, and he just did not see anything wrong with it. We have uh, professionals who who uh, have the money and they have no problem contacting somebody to have their needs met. Doctors, lawyers, and politicians. Now, a lot of the places where this stuff happens are high-density populated areas like, uh, say, for example, the Super Bowl. That's a huge yes. uh, place for trafficking. Uh, the Olympic sports. Uh, other major sporting events. We have um, we had the NRC National Republic Convention here. Uh, was it well last president presidential election? And I know that they busted uh, some people. I don't know how many. I never got the statistics on that. But a couple of rings were busted during that time. Mm-hmm. And places like airports, truck stops, uh, places is close to interstates, strip clubs, and large business conferences are all perfect places for this type of behavior to happen. You know, sometimes you see these signs on the side of the street or hanging on telephone poles that have employment opportunities. I don't know. I think just about everybody sees them. Some of them are just fake employment agencies who want to make quick, easy money, and they entice these people into their grasp and they prostitute them. Of course, we talked about earlier internet connections such as Facebook and Snapchat. Uh, Kids are quick to accept a friend request from someone they don't know. And these people are experts, especially if it's through email or something, they don't see the other person and the other person can lie about who they are so easily. And people who just feel so empty inside will go out and look for these people who will fill some type of an emotional need in them. Yeah. And, and even to that point, Ginger, thinking about, we've said this a few times now, the particular vulnerability that to this kind of insidious trafficking because everyone is at home and everyone is on technological apparatuses and apps and all of these things. It is a perfect place to troll children, heartbreakingly exploit children online 
It's quite heartbreaking. This is a good snapshot of all the many different faces. And today we're looking primarily at sexual exploitation. We haven't even looked at some of these other pieces that often happen. Like I said, forced labor and forced marriage and organ trafficking. And there's a whole nother dense side to this very complex issue. So today we're talking, um, again, a lot about the sexual exploitation piece in human trafficking, trafficking, and there is a lot of focus on rescue and restoration. And they go hand in hand. I don't think you can seek to rescue someone without a proper restoration plan in place. Oftentimes people rescued without that restoration and plan in place go right back to what feels familiar and safe to them, although it is not safe at all. And I would like to see the Freedom Challenge continuing to dig in and highlight the importance of prevention, you know, rest, you know, reaching a child before they need to be rescued and development, economic empowerment, providing a way for human beings made in the image of God to have a dignified way of making a living, which was primarily one of your issues coming away from your parents' home, is the vulnerability of just not having a skill. But how would you, I was thinking about this, how would this have looked differently in your life as a, as a child and as a young person if there was a caring and informed adult who is more aware and had the language wrapped around these current issues? How do you think that would have impacted your life? Well, it would have impacted hugely. Now, I did have a guidance counselor that would call me into his office every so often because I know he was concerned. I would come to school with black eyes, bruises all over my body, and he would pull me into his office and ask me what happened. The thing is, I was I lived in such tremendous fear and belief that I deserved what I was getting that I was afraid to be honest because traffickers threaten you with your life whenever you, you know, if you want to tell somebody about it, they say, basically, if you tell anybody, I will kill you. So um, I was basically stunted from the fear of being honest. And my counselor even said, you know, if you're, if you are being abused, I can help you. I didn't believe him. The lies were that strong. How could he rescue me from a situation, first of all, that I deserved, and second of all, felt impossible to leave? I'm not sure how he could have convinced me anymore, but I think more if lawmakers and the government and uh just the schools were trained more so that they would be allowed to report things, even if a person is denying them. When you see somebody all beat up with bruises every single day, you can't believe that they just fell into a doorknob once again. There's got to be more to it. They've got to be trained and the awareness needs to go past what the victim says. Yeah. The victim will never be honest. Yeah. And what I would say to that is the progress that we've made is the heightened awareness to that where schools have to report now. If, if yes. in this context, that awareness and that reporting would have been part of it, 
someone would have been out to your house to investigate what was really going on. So I am thankful for all the conversation, all the new language that is encapsulating the comprehensive picture here. And I mean, it would have, I mean, think about it, that you were pulled away from and isolated from family and caring people. That was the first step in making you even more vulnerable. And then you were missing for two years. Right. That That's very difficult to be offline for two years. So again, us being aware and watching and thinking and using our intellect and the things that we know to be true and having resources to report such things, those things are very accessible to us now. And it really could have looked much differently in your young life. And I know that you are so focused on this because your desire and your heart is to be investing deeply into the healing work of people that have experienced such things. And you've done that for many years. You've invested deep into your own healing and you've sat with people who have been exploited. I know this. You've counseled with them. You've resourced them. Can you share just a few tips with our listeners of how to sit with or resource someone who has been victimized in any one of these ways? I think the first thing to do is uh, research and find local resources in your area. So as you're sitting, obviously, well, let me go backwards for a minute. Obviously, the normal person isn't trained on dealing with such terrible abuse. And like most of my friends had no idea what to do with me. So it's good to know resources in your area to send them to and maybe even help them find a trauma counselor. But they still need a friend besides their counselor. And I think one of the best things that people did for me was just sit with me in my pain. Um, I didn't need pat answers. I didn't want pat, pat answers. I just wanted the presence of a human being who cared. Um, there is an emotional cost to the advocate, though, the person sitting with you in there, because they're going to feel emotions, too. And they have to be asking themselves the question of, am I willing to feel her pain with her? Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible says to weep with those who weep. That's not just a, a little phrase. There, There's truth behind, behind that uh, scripture. Uh, another thing that I think is extremely important is the validate their worth um, and help them see that the abuse was no fault of their own. Victims totally believe that they are to blame for what happened to them and they see themselves as worthless. But to validate that, even if the victim doesn't believe it, continue to validate it because hopefully the truth will wear off on them. Another thing that I think is super important is um, Christians are sometimes afraid to be okay with someone being angry at God. And the thing about God, he is so big that he can be there for anybody through their anger, through their tears. After all, he was angry that this happened. And there is a righteous anger that goes to it. But even the anger and hatred towards God during the healing process is okay. God loves a person so much he can handle and he absorbs that. 
and um, tears. Oh my goodness, the tears once they start coming. If they could, if the abused could realize that their tears are words to God. I read a phrase once that they're liquid words to God. And I just Mm. thought that was so beautiful. Uh, Now, another huge part of my healing was forgiveness. But I think it's so important to realize that you can forgive prematurely. If you, if a person who is going through such pain and agony just says, I forgive you, or I forgive whoever, and has not worked through the deep pain and emotions for the people that they're forgiving and the deep pain and emotions for what's happened to them, it can just be a trite uh, statement. I think forgiveness for me, I wrestled for years and years of, uh, of having to forgive, but finally I took nine months to pursue God to ask him what forgiveness looked like to me. And I tell you, once I was able to come to that place, I experienced such freedom and freedom from revenge, freedom from hatred. But it's important to know, too, that the forgiveness was not saying that what they did was okay. They are still culpable for what they have done. It's just that I am freeing myself Mm. from the bondage of revenge and hatred. Wow. And just a reminder and to remind them that healing is a journey. And it's there is no end to it. And uh, you had mentioned once that it's part of the sanctification process. Mm. And it is. It's a lifetime of healing, just like it's a lifetime of becoming sanctified in our relationship with Christ. Wow. Well said, Ginger. Well said. Such great wisdom from a heart. That truly is not a victim, but a victorious survivor in Christ. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. My fellow Freedom Sister, I value you as a friend and as an advocate. I respect you. And I believe and I know that your words are going to inspire everyone who heard us to speak up, to start establishing conversations that sometimes are uncomfortable with people. And to encourage others to join this fight against human trafficking in all of its forms. As we close out, there's multiple resources in the show notes, including Ginger's video and her testimony, different uh, phone numbers, resources and tips on how to identify trafficking in your area. Lots of good things. So check out those show notes. Thank you for listening today and for joining us. And my hope and prayer is that we would stand with women and children who have had to endure a lifetime of oppression and pain from another, that we would continue to research, to find local places that are doing good work, to help precious humans, that we would enter into the story and not harden our hearts to the reality that is happening around us, We ask you to stand with us, the Freedom Challenge, to set women and children on a pathway to freedom. And if you are able, you can donate to the Freedom Challenge. You can look in our show notes on our website, and you can find all the ways to do that if you're able to fund the ministries that support these precious women and children that are experiencing horrendous realities 
May this episode remind us all to take action against the things that are happening all over the world, and we encourage you to do your part to end human trafficking in persons. Thank you for supporting and partnering with us to set women and children on a pathway to freedom. We can do so when we do good, we do more, and especially when we do it together. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge Online, brought to you by the Freedom Challenge, a ministry of Operation Mobilization USA. For more information about what we do and how you can partner with us, check out our website, thefreedomchallenge.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at the FCUSA.